0: So, next, I'm going to welcome the birthday boy back on stage, and he's going to share a message. Thank you guys for singing to me. Thank you for the flattering, semi indecent picture of me that was on the screen. In case you're wondering the story behind that picture, a couple of friends and I, well, first off, are there any guesses for those who don't know why my mouth was open so wide? You know. <laughs> Don't you know, Rick? Um, can I guess sure. A it was not a fan. That'd be a powerful fan. A leaf, blower. leaf blower. Yes. Yeah. It was a leaf blower. So that was fun. How you guys doing? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't Anthony's video amazing? Yeah. Let's give him another round of applause for that. If you uh, don't already, subscribe to his YouTube channel. He makes really funny, creative, cool videos to watch on a weekly basis every Friday morning. Check those out. They're awesome. Um, yeah. And let's give Stephanie a round of applause, too. Being an amazing intro person. I'm just stalling time right now to clear my stand of all the stuff. All right. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 20 right now. I want to quote John Wimber, the first major leader of the vineyard. He said, when you come to Christ, you come to Christ, his church, and his cause. And I love that quote because I don't know about you, but for me oftentimes I like to think of those three things as completely separate, you know? It's like I got my relationship with Jesus. Once I get that down, I can graduate from just being in relationship with him to being a part of his church, you know? And then once I can really get invested in a church and feel good about it and they feel good about me, then I can kind of graduate to getting involved with his cause and making disciples and doing evangelism and serving and all of that. I don't know if you've ever, ever thought like that before, but I have. And so what I love about this quote is that John Wimber is saying, no, when you come to Jesus, it's not this graduating thing. You come to him, his church, and his cause right away. You know, in the early Vineyard, the first Vineyard church, um, heard a guy teaching recently who was there, and he said that more than 80% of the people they were a part of the church, also served and volunteered somehow as well. And um, people would come to Christ and like that week, John would try to be getting them plugged in somewhere to start serving in some way, you know. And if they said to him, well, you know, I'm not sure. Like, I think I need to pray about it. He kind of just like blankly stare at them and be like, what do you need to pray about? Are you in or are you out? That was his attitude, like, are you into this Jesus thing which includes his church and his cause or are you out, you know? So, I want to focus in on the cause of Christ right now and I just want to frame it with it's for everybody that is a born again believer. Like you don't have to be a Christian for a certain amount of time to graduate to being part of his cause on the earth. Like the second you get renewed and born again, the second you accept Jesus, you join a family on a mission for the sake of this world. So um, with that in mind, I want to ask a question. Raise your hand if you currently are doing some kind of ministry, meaning that in the gathering of believers that you meet up with on a consistent basis, you're not just a consumer, but somehow you are doing something to give out and pour out to others. Raise your hand. Okay, so as you can see, the vast majority of the people in here fall under that category, and so what I thought would be cool would be to go over some principles out of the scriptures on what it looks like to do ministry for the long haul, you know? Because ministry is not just for special people that can lead worship or teach or be really inspiring. Ministry is for everybody. And so... If when we come to Christ, we come to his cause, and that means doing the ministry of Jesus and advancing the kingdom. And if we're going to do that from now until the day that we die, probably be good to figure out some things that can sustain us for the long haul. So with that in mind, let's read Acts 20, verses uh, 18 through 24. And I've been uh, studying the book of Acts personally. Um, since 2012, I'm in acts 27. Now there's 28 chapters. I will say for the last year, I've only been doing like every other day, but before that it's like every day, 45 minutes to an hour a day, just diving in, ripping it apart. So I really love acts. Um, I'm going to read this passage now, but, uh, you know, this just came to my mind. There's somebody I know who we all enjoy to listen to when he reads the Bible. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? (laughs) Grant, would you have any interest in reading the passage for us? (laughs) We'll give you a microphone. Where's that mic at? (laughs) He's going to sternly rebuke me after this in his Grant voice.
1: (laughs) After, I'll do it now. (laughs) All right, man. Verses.
0: Yes, you are. Verses 18. Through 24. All right, turn there, Acts 20, verses 18 to 24. Let's read it.
1: And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive in the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God.
0: Thank you, sir. James. So much better than if I would have done it. Thank you so much, Grant. His voice is so epic. Jeez. Okay. If you guys know... Um, Vinnie Harris, he put out a hip hop album recently, and Grant is actually on the opening and closing track. It's kind of like an interlude thing, so it sounds really cool. Listen to that if you haven't. Um, so, yeah, context for this, context for what we just read. Paul planted a church in Ephesus in Acts nineteen. This is Acts twenty in Acts nineteen. And the, when he arrives in Ephesus, he meets a group of 12 believers who knew about the baptism of John, but not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he uh, so the baptism of John meaning repentance, forgiveness of sins, etc. So they knew about all that stuff. But they, they didn't know about being filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says to them, Hey, glad you guys know about repentance toward Jesus. Have you heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And I think, man, there, that's when I, when I first came into the vineyard, that's what I kind of felt like, you know, jeez, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit based on what's going on here." And uh, so then they all get filled and blasted and speak in tongues and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and then I'd like to believe that a lot of those 12 became the elders of the Ephesian Church when three years later, Paul left to go to Jerusalem. And so he was there for three years, discipling, building people up, teaching, doing signs and wonders. You know, there's a time where his used tissues were touching people and they were getting healed from stuff. And that's in the Bible, if you don't believe me. So check it out, Acts 19. Crazy stuff happening in Ephesus. Ephesus, a uh, city in um, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So Paul then feels from the spirit that it's time for him to leave. And what he just said... What we just read is what he said to them, to the elders he put in place as kind of like the closing remarks, closing advice that he would give to them. So I kind of just want to break down that passage, go through it verse by verse, and see what principles we can pull out for doing ministry for the long haul. So we're going to start with this part from verse 18. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. How I was with you the whole time. So I want to focus in on that phrase, how I was with you the whole time. He's not talking here about being in the same city or the same room even with the people. He's not saying, I was in the same place with you locationally or spatially. He's talking about something different. And so I want to look at Acts 4, because you know a good way to understand the Bible is to use the Bible. So, in uh, Acts four, Luke, the author of Acts, also uses this word um, to describe something. I think it'll help us shed light on what it means. You know, Paul saying to them, "I was with you." So, Acts four, verse thirteen. This is after the apostle Peter and the apostle John have been arrested for um, arrested for a healing a guy who's been lame from birth. You yeah, know, go figure. And They'd been questioned, and then they had kind of like issued their response to the religious leaders of the day that had arrested them. And then this is the reaction of the religious leaders after um, Peter and John responded. So verse 13. Now as they, the religious leaders, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Peter and John were recognized as having been with Jesus. And it wasn't just that they had been with him spatially or locationally. There had been thousands of people that had been with him in the same region or in the same room even. But they had been with him, meaning that they were of him. I associate with you. They were receiving influence from him. You know, they were his apostles, his 12 disciples that he invested in the most. So Paul is saying to these elders now, I've been with you the whole time. Meaning that I've been investing in you and influencing you and teaching you the whole time. You know, doing ministry, it's not about like being able to get on a stage and wow a crowd. Being doing ministry is being able to be with people and see the things that God has grown in you start to grow in them. That's ministry. It's not as like glamorous as being on a stage and having a stadium full of people, but that is the heart of ministry, right there. And uh, so, this first principle I want to pull out is that if you want to do ministry for the long haul, if you want to be a part of His cause for the rest of your life, number one, make disciples. We just have to make disciples. And how I want to define discipleship is that discipleship is an intentional friendship, you know, an intentional friendship. You can meet with someone weekly, twice a week. Even you can teach them everything, you know, help them learn how to study the Bible, teach them how to pray and evangelize. You can do all, you can do all this stuff, but if you don't actually care about them as a human being, if you're not willing to be friends with them, then it's really not going to be worth anything in the long run. You know? The foundation of discipleship always has to be a friendship. Now, with that said, it's not just a friendship. You know, It's not just a friendship. Because the goal of discipleship is to influence someone so they will become more of a disciple of Christ. So it's both, you have both the friendship part... And you have the intentionality part. You need both of those if you want to call it discipleship. And so just to kind of give you a visual of this, I want to show you an illustration that we at House Group have come up with for kind of what discipleship looks like. Um, So, like I said, discipleship, you know, HG... I'm writing House Group Discipleship because this is kind of like the model we use. But I would just say this is a lot of what discipleship looks like in general. So, discipleship, first and foremost, as I said, is an intentional friendship. Intentional friendship. I'll just leave that. Um. Yeah, so the friendship part is pretty easy. Actually like the person. Hang out with them without an agenda. Encourage them, build them up, be there for them when they need you, answer their phone call no matter what. If, they, if their car breaks down and they need a ride somewhere and it's a little inconvenient for you, put that to the side and go and do it. Like, care about them, you know? But what does the intentional part look like? Well, uh, as I said earlier, when you come to Christ, you come to Christ his church, and his cause. And so, helping the person that you're investing in, the person that you are with, that you're influencing, helping them in those three arenas is probably a good place to start. And so, there's another illustration that we use a lot from a ministry called 3DM, a discipleship ministry. And they like to use the words up, in, and out. So, up, as in my upwards relationship with God the Father, like helping that person grow in intimacy with God, best practical thing you can do is spend quality time with Him every day. So we do that. In meaning, getting involved in the body of Christ themselves, helping teach them how to be, a, how to make disciples, teach them how to do ministry. You know, out is evangelism, how to live a lifestyle of evangelism, so that. God can use you no matter where you are to bring his kingdom. You don't just got to be on a prayer team after church service. You don't just got to be at a house group, but he can actually use you wherever you are. Um, so those three things. Then uh, an important fourth thing, I'm going to draw in the middle of the triangle because I think it affects all of the points, is character. If you're doing all this stuff, but the character of Christ is not being formed in you, Then it's a foundation made on sand, and um, also if if there's some big character flaw that you have that that, you know you need help dealing with, it's until you deal with it, it's going to affect all three of these areas also. So when you are with when you're discipling someone, when you're with someone, seeing how they need to grow in character is important. Lastly, so kind of like five goals: a biblical understanding of the kingdom. Biblical understanding of K O G. In case you've ever seen that in literature, I remember first seeing K O G and like, COG? What the heck is COG? You know? Kingdom of God abbreviation. So uh, if you don't believe that God actually loves you, if you think he's just disappointed with you all the time, all this stuff really isn't going to matter. You know? It's, you're going to be held back in your relationship with God for your whole life. If you don't believe that it's always God's will to release his healing to people. If you think that God ever wants to withhold healing to teach someone a lesson, then when you're doing evangelism and you feel like God says, go pray for that person, you're always going to be second guessing. Well, does he actually want them to be healed or not? Should I go? Should I not? So anyways, I'm not going to go into depth in all this. I've already went more than I planned. But these five things, daily time with God, discipleship, evangelism, character, biblical understanding of the kingdom of God, all in the framework of an intentional friendship. That's discipleship. Principle one, we have to make disciples if we want to do ministry for the long haul. That's why we're here. Okay? So that's that. Continuing on, let's uh, read a little bit of verse 19 now. So, uh, yeah, what we just read. Verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. I want to take a look at that phrase, all humility, because that just stuck out to me. Like, why didn't he just say humility? Why did he say all humility? And I did some studying, and I realized that that phrase, all humility, is only used one other time in the Bible. And what's kind of cool is that it's used, Paul uses it to talk to the Ephesians in the book of Ephesians. So he uses it when he's talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts, and then he uses it in the book of Ephesians, which that's really cool to me because I'm a Bible nerd, and that's like confirmation, you know. But if it's not cool for you, then just we can move on. (laughs) So all humility, and so what what does that mean, all humility? And uh, what I came to is that in the other passage, he's talking about unity in the church. If you uh, know about Paul's letters, you kind of know that All of them, except for two mainly, were written as like corrections to a church body or to an individual. And uh, Romans was not that. Romans was just kind of like a theological expanse of the gospel. But the book of um, Ephesus, he was writing to a church, and they didn't really have a whole lot of problems going on, except that there was a little bit of division in that church. There wasn't a lot, not like in the Corinthian church, but there was a little bit. So Paul is telling them, you know, stay united with each other. And the key that he gives is by having humility. You know, that humility is the key to unity with your brothers and sisters. And so, um, you know, we could talk about humility for the rest of tonight and six other messages. And so I don't want to go into all of it. But I think it's important if if we uh, look into the scriptures, you know, again, the Bible is the best way to understand the Bible. Um, Paul in Philippians 2 talks about what humility is. He says that do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. And so what that means to me is that humility, it's not so much looking at how, like, like looking at ourselves as being bad, but it's looking at others as being amazing. And that's part of the identity message that I think gets lost, even in churches that preach a lot of identity. If I come up on here and stage, and I teach how we have the identity of Christ, that we are new creations, that we are born again, and we uh, have no sin nature anymore, there's no condemnation, we are sons and daughters of God, empowered. If I preach that, but then I treat someone like they're a sinner still, it's all for nothing, in my opinion. So the identity message, it's actually much more powerful when a people live it than when a people speak about it. And uh, I think we do a good job of that. So, yay for us. Um, we can always do better. But yeah, identity is, it's, uh, it's in word, it's in teaching, it's also in action, it's in thought. And uh, the kind of avenue of this I was thinking a lot about is having humility in speech toward my brothers and sisters. Even when they really irritate me, even when they do or say something that offends me. You know, I don't know about all of you, but for me, if someone like um, attacks me or makes fun of me, I don't really get too emotional about that. I don't get too offended by that. But if I hear about a person or another ministry that is like teaching this, like, har- these harmful beliefs to people, like teaching them that they need to feel bad about themselves, that they need to work to get God's forgiveness If I hear that being taught, that is what really angers me. And that's what gets me like spewing all kinds of negativity about that ministry or about that person. And what I think Paul is saying here is that a key to doing ministry for the long haul is never speaking in a dishonorable way about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just not doing it. No matter what they do to us, no matter what heresy they are preaching never allowing ourselves to speak dishonorably about another brother and sister. I think it's so important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians four thirteen, and we grow weary from the work of our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered we speak kindly, we've become like the rubbish of the world, the dregs of all things to this very day. It's pretty clear we're never allowed to spew negativity onto our brothers and sisters or anyone for that matter. One person I want to recognize is Nick Hunter. He is amazing at doing this since he's, yeah, clap for him. (laughs) Since he's been back in town, I have never heard him say a dishonoring thing about anybody, not about a single person, not about any ministry and I've been with him in context before where he like, disagreed pretty strongly with what another ministry was doing, but he's never said a dishonoring thing about, about them. And I think he's just a good example and a model for all of us. So if you are having issues with that, like if you realize, man, just so often, like, I don't mean to, but I, just feel, I can just feel this negativity spewing out of me about my brothers and sisters or about another ministry. Talk to him after this service and he'll pray for you and it'll be powerful. Rick Rhodes is also an amazing example of this. And I can name a bunch of other people, but yeah, we can clap for Rick. Sure, Lucas. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so important. That principle two, never speak in a dishonoring way about a brother or sister in Christ if you want to make it for the long haul. Okay. Um, same... Passage, but highlighting a different part, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. I'm not going to spend a ton of time with this, but really the principle here is if you're going to do ministry for the long haul, expect pain and persecution. Don't like bring it on. Don't view it as a good thing, um, but expect it because Jesus promised it. And, there's an enemy that doesn't like it when we start living for the kingdom of God and doing ministry and getting involved with the cause. The enemy wants to beat us down so that we have our relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't really threaten him at all. You know, that's a pretty sad thing. Our relationship with God is meant to be like the greatest threat on the kingdom of darkness that exists in the whole universe. And when it gets put in a box and stuffed away because of pain and persecution. And now it's no longer anything that he has to worry about. It's a sad thing. So I remember one time uh, I was going through a really tough season in life. A lot of drama was happening. A lot of people that I thought I trusted were um, kind of ripping me to shreds with their words. And it was just not a fun season of life. I was at the Northside house group at the time, and Maria Carlson gave me a word about, and you know, she looked at me and she said, in front of the whole house group, there's probably 50 people there, and, it, oh, it was my birthday. Wow. Hey. It was a year ago today. <laughs> it was my birthday. Um, and she told me, Luke, one thing I saw, I can't remember exactly what she said, but to the effect of, Luke, I saw that no matter what the enemy throws at you, all it does is make you stronger at this point because you stay grounded in your relationship with God and your identity in Christ. And so that really impacted me because I realized that although the enemy can throw stuff at us, he cannot take away the fact that we're new creations. He cannot take away the fact that we're sons and daughters of God. He cannot take away the fact that we are completely at peace in Christ. And so as long as we don't give that away, no matter what he throws at us, it will only make us stronger. But we are able to give it away if we don't hold fast to that, which is why we need community and we need You know, Jesus. So, expect pain and persecution. Moving on, verse 20. Then Paul says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I really liked this phrase, declaring to you anything that was profitable. um, Because I think that there is a difference from what is true and what is profitable. There's a difference there. Now, don't hear, I almost use a puttyism. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, I uh, I'm not saying that what is profitable isn't grounded in truth. If something is profitable, it has to also be true. But sharing true things, that there's sometimes a place to share one truth, and then there's another place to share another truth. So let me give you examples. That's to make that make sense. Um, first off, it has to be grounded in truth for it to be profitable for another person to hear. Like I have a friend who um, was working at a church three year, or four years ago, four years ago, it was before house group, and he was struggling a lot with loneliness. And he, uh, not only was he lonely, but he also had this weird thing where he was a virgin and he was really f- afraid that the woman that he would marry someday wouldn't be a virgin. And so that was like messing with his head thinking. And, and so he was talking about it with someone at the church he was working at with. And this other coworker told him, you know, dude, you just need to go get laid and kind of get this off of your mind. Like, no lie. That happened. So that is not what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> what is profitable to speak to someone has to be true that 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 coworker thought that hey this might be good for him to hear this might be beneficial for him to hear to do this you know and get it out of his system or whatever but if it's not ground in truth it is not profitable okay but like i said earlier that which is profitable is always true but that which is true is not always profitable here's what i mean to give you an illustration let me ask you all a question is it true that A man looking at another woman with lust is him committing adultery with her in his heart. Is that true? Yes, right? Jesus said it himself. Red letters. Uh, Next. (laughs) Is it true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Yes. Yes, Both of those are true. Both of those are true things. Now, um, let me ask you a third question. Which of these truths should I share with someone who is beaten down and hopelessly stuck in a pornography addiction? There's no condemnation, right? If somebody is like been struggling with this thing for five or six years, they hate it that they do it, but they really just feel like they can't stop. They're battling every day, but they just feel hopeless. Like, I just don't know how to, I, I know that God doesn't want me to do this and I don't want to do it, but I just feel hopelessly stuck in it. Do they need to hear, well, you know, every time you look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery. So you better stop. (laughs) You know, that's true, but it's not profitable in that context. Okay. Another question. Um, What about a married man who nonchalantly brags to you about flirting with other women? Which truth does he need to hear? Does he need to hear, hey, don't worry about it. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> right? That's true, but it's not going to be profitable for him in that situation. What that man needs to hear is, hey, when you do that, if you even look at another woman with lust, you're already committing adultery. So stop it. That's not who you are. You know. So basically the point I'm making is that in ministry, we have to, it's principle four, we have to discern what truth to share and when to share it. We can't just have like a black and white approach where we always say one thing to people and, you know, we have to discern what is profitable. And so I want to share four quick keys to discerning what is profitable to share. First one to discern what's profitable to share with someone. You have to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let me just say this. Okay. If In your conversations with people, you realize that you talk more than listen. Change that. Okay? (laughs) Trust me. It'll be better for all of your relationships. People love people that listen to them. You know? It's so true. So, um, yeah, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Next one. Listen to comprehend their perspective, not to find a chance to share your perspective. Listening to someone is not just like this. I've done this so much. That's why I'm saying this. I am pretty good at listening and kind of like strategically hearing what the person says and then asking them a question that reveals their logical inconsistency. (laughs) Like I can just do that. I don't, you know, but what I've learned is that like, that's not really listening to people because I still have an agenda. I don't care about what they're actually trying to say or feel. I just care about getting them to contradict themselves So I can show them, oh, look, you're stupid. Now listen to what I say. So it's not about that. You know, in fact, Proverbs 18.2 says that fools take no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. So it's not about expressing what I, you know, if you are in conversation and you're always feeling like, oh, I just have to share this. I just got to share this. I just got to share this. Like um, maybe for a week or two weeks, just be like, you know what? I'm not ever going to share my opinion. I'm just going to listen and kind of break that thing. Cause that's just the enemy trying to attack your relationships. So, um, other good thing to do to, uh, listen for listening is to ask purposeful questions. You know, l- get really good at asking questions. It's the best way to develop people. People are far more developed by good questions than they are by good answers. Okay. Third key. Speak from immutability, never insecurity. If you're not familiar with that first word, it's a theological term. It kind of describes God's um, never changingness So the fact that God always stays the same. And so since we're in Christ, we have the identity and we are made in the image of likeness of God. We have immutability, meaning that no matter what's going on around us, because of the peace that's in us, we should never be shaken or changed. You know. Like, we should stay the same. We should stay at the same peace and joy level even through the hardest circumstances. That's the immutability we have. Um, And so speak from that, not from insecurity. Like, what I've learned is that whatever I'm feeling insecure about, when I start talking about that, that's what I'm going to be destructive and divisive with. You know, the other day, or other week, a couple months ago... I was listening to a teaching and the teacher was saying all true things, all stuff that I believed in. He was backing it up with scripture and solid, um, logical thinking, but you could just tell he had an edge there. You know, you could just tell that if anyone were to contradict what he said, it would cause him just to feel all this emotion of the anger, insecurity, um, you know, you could just tell there was an edge. You know, guys know what I mean when I say an edge? Like, you could, he was just speaking, and you could just, like, feel an edge on it. That's the insecurity. And when we, when we speak out of that, even if we're saying true things, that's where we're going to be divisive with the body of Christ on, is what I've learned, especially in theological matters, you know. So we speak not from insecurity, but from security, from immutability. Last um, key relational investment dictates input. You know, a lot of times, I uh, I've done this, I've seen other people do this. I have this level of relationship with a person, but I want this much input in their life. Wow. You know? And uh, I learned this from a very wise man who's sitting in this section. But, um, guess what? It's fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so what we have to do is no, we have to lower the amount of input we want, I would say to or even below our relationship and focus on this thing. And as this thing grows, they will grow simultaneously. Okay. All right. So that is the fourth principle, which is, uh, discern, what is discern what truth to share and when to share it. Okay. Moving on to verse 20. And teaching you publicly... And from house to house. And teaching you publicly. So this one's pretty simple. Um, The reason Paul is emphasizing the fact that he was teaching in public was because it was dangerous to do this. Like it was actually dangerous for him to minister in public. And for us, we a lot of us don't minister in public. I know I don't minister in public as much as I'd like to but it's not because I'm afraid of getting stoned or killed or imprisoned. The reason I don't minister in public is because I'm afraid of getting laughed at or mocked or rejected. You know, the reason that I hear God tell me, Hey, that person over there at that gas pump needs to hear this from me and I don't do it. It's not because I think they're going to pull a gun out and shoot me. It's because I'm scared of being laughed at, you know? When Robbie Dawkins was here, he was talking about a uh, couple from Iran that had come to the States for a couple of weeks. They were pastors. And Robbie, this couple, and a group of people from the church went out to do power evangelism. And as they were going out and praying for people, Robbie turns and he looks at this couple and they're just weeping. They're just crying. And Robbie's like, like, what's wrong? What's going on? They're like, this is just so amazing that we can come out here and do this. And they're like, why don't more people do this? And Robert looked at them and said, because they're scared. And then the couple said, well, why are they scared? Are, are they scared of being imprisoned? Are they scared of being killed? Are they scared of being tortured? He's like, no, they're scared of being laughed at. You know. And this couple just continued to weep. And so it's really like, it's, to be laughed at is not that big of a deal. To be mocked is not, compared to what, the apostles in the first church, and just the regular believers in the first church were going through, it's not that big of a deal. So I want to encourage you. Li- principle number five. Um, live in boldness. Live in boldness. Next time that you are at Walmart or you're at Walgreens or something and you see someone that God lays on your heart to go talk to or pray for or give a word to, just do it. Who cares if you get laughed at? Who cares if you get mocked? Who cares if they say, no, get out of here, you weird Christian? That's like not that big of a deal. Okay? Live in boldness. Uh, moving on in verse 20. Oh, same section. And teaching you publicly and from house to house. Again, I just kind of want to roll through this one. Principle number six place high value on personal relational ministry. Um, kind of touched on this already, but the. Best minist- people that I know in ministry are the ones who really invest the most of their time and energy in relationships and being personal. Okay. Okay, then verse 21 solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel. I didn't even make a principle out of it because it's just do it. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Verses 22 and 23. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So I looked up the Greek word there for bound, and it is a deo, de-o something like that, um, And one of the ways this word is used is to describe the lifelong bond between husband and wife. So bound by the Spirit, like wed to the Holy Spirit. Committed um, in marriage, in a lifelong oath of them being the number one priority in your life to the Holy Spirit. Bound by the Holy Spirit. So principle seven is quitting isn't an option for us. Quitting just is not an option. Just like in a marriage, you know, I'm not married, but I've married friends and they tell me stories and I I know I won't totally understand it until I'm actually married, but I hear from them, you know, there are times when I'm totally motivated out of love for this person, like the feeling of love, to stay faithful to them, to honor them, to love them. Then there are times when I'm not feeling any of that. In fact, I'm feeling the exact opposite of that, but simply out of duty and out of keeping that commitment that I made, I treat them the same way, no matter what I'm feeling, you know? And so I think that's a really good metaphor because in ministry, there are going to be times when we are feeling really great about it. It feels amazing to go to house group every week and to pray and to lead Bible studies and to lead ministry time. It just feels so exciting to worship with all my friends. And then there comes a time when it's like, Oh, you know, it's 5:20. I have to leave for House Group soon. I do not want to go, you know. I just want to stay home and watch, oh, it'd be so nice just to watch TV, lemonade and Netflix and flaming hot cheetos, you know. And skyline chili. Mm, you know. <laughs> not Gold Star whoever said that. <laughs> okay, real quick. At House Group a couple Fridays ago, the question was if you could combine three ingredients into a snack, what three ingredients would you combine and what would you name it? And Rick Rhodes comes down the stairs and Rick says, if I can make a stat or a snack, I would combine garbage, sewage, rat poison. <laughs> I combine those together and I call it Gold Star Chili. <laughs> yeah so anyways getting back to my point quitting isn't an option even if we have to go to Gold Star after house group quitting is never an option you know <laughs> um, and I live this out at Blue Ash they vetoed me we don't go to Skyline anymore can you believe it we have to go to B-dubs now it's not Gold Star but you know I just at leader you know I stoop low to the people I'm, I'm just kidding Okay, quitting is not an option. Sometimes we minister out of the feeling of love. Other times we minister out of duty. Other times we just do it because we're committed to the cause of Christ, you know? And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to be get called to another ministry. I think God does that all the time. I think there are a lot of people that are in house group leadership right now who are just here for a season. But quitting because it doesn't feel good is never the right answer, okay? Um. That's what it means to be bound by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Okay, there's a last principle, eighth one. Let's read the scripture first. Paul ends in verse 24 with this, But I do not count my life of any value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I do not count my life of any value to myself. Man, I really believe that if the church could just believe that, the world would change in an instant. You know, I do not count my life of any value to myself. Something exciting, um, last week from Tuesday to Sunday, seven people got born again for the first time through power evangelism, through house group and Vineyard Northwest people. So pretty amazing, right? And, uh, if you've been around for a couple of years, you'll remember that in the, starting in the fall of 2014, going through the spring of 2015, there was a period in house group history where like every week we were seeing five to 10 people getting saved out in the streets through power evangelism. And I was just like, this is amazing, God, you know, um, and then towards the, uh, Kind of halfway through 2015, it kind of stopped. And I was wondering, like, God, like, what? Why did that stop? Did we stop, like, did we lose our love? Did we get selfish? Did we stop teaching this enough? Like, what was it? And I felt like he said to me, like, Luke, that was a taste of what's to come for house group. But you guys were not ready for it yet. You had two house groups that were packed to the brim. You could not have brought in a bunch of lost people, even if you brought them to Christ, you know? And... Um, character was something we really needed to work on. And we spent basically all of the year, if you're at a retreat all of last year, focusing on developing the character of Christ, learning how to confront each other in love, to give each other feedback. God taught us a number of other things last year, but I, what I really think happened was with that foundation in place. Now a great harvest is coming this year. I believe, I think that in these five house groups right now, there some of them are getting close to multiplication levels, but most of them are, uh, could take on 20 or 30 people. And I really believe that, they're, that this year they're going to be full of lost people saved through power evangelism. And I think we're going to see, you know if we saw 150 in that last season, I think we're going to see 1,500 in this one. Okay? So what brought me to that is that that comes from a people that are willing to say, I do not count my life of any value to myself. That's freedom right there, really. If it's not about me, then when things are not okay, when I'm hurting, when people are backstabbing me and betraying me, it's not about me, you know? I don't count my life of any value to myself. And so then principle uh, eight is your life isn't about you. No. And uh, something that I've felt like God's been speaking to me a lot about lately is speaking of this power evangelism thing. Really, all he's calling us to do, initially, if you haven't gotten involved with this yet, is just die to yourself 15 seconds a day, you know? Just fit for 15 seconds in all... Of, who knows math? How many seconds are in a day? <laughs> Does anybody know that? I know high school's been a long time for some of us. Okay. 6,000 86,000. 86,000, okay? So... Somewhere between 7 and 86,000 seconds are in a day. How about just for 15 of those, we die to ourselves? Meaning, I'm at Target, and I look at the cashier, and I know God is saying, hey, I just want you to encourage her. Tell her that she is an amazing, ask her if she's a mother. Tell her she's an amazing mother, okay? I can be like, okay, 15 seconds, here we go. And you start walking. Hey, excuse me, this might sound strange, but I feel like God wanted me to ask her, are you a mother? Yes. Okay, you're amazing. Oh, crying, born again, right there. (laughs) It can be that easy. Like, for those of people who have led people to Christ before, it's not like this two-hour-long debate. It can happen in 30 seconds, because that's God, you know? So die to yourself for 15 seconds a day. You won't regret it, and our life's not about us. So let's do it, okay? Those are eight principles to doing ministry for the long-haul worship team. You can come back up. Um, and for the rest of us, let's just pray. So, Jesus, if we haven't in a while, we recommit ourselves to you, to your church, and to your cause. And we say, Lord, use us. Because we're willing to live this life like it's not about us. We're willing to live in boldness. Holy Spirit, please renew our minds and allow us to start living in this way. So Jesus, we just give you honor and say that it's all about you, no matter what. We ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, right now. In Jesus' name, that you would come. That you would fill this room Yeah, I really just see the Holy Spirit right now breaking apathy off of people. You know, so If you've been struggling with apathy lately, just put your hand on your heart. I just bless everyone in Jesus' name, and I speak to the spirit of apathy, and I say, be gone right now. And I just welcome a renewal of passion and fire and energy for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome more of your presence, Father, as we enter into worship with you.